Father, I ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. You alone are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. It's good to be with you today on Pentecost Sunday, the day where we remember and celebrate the coming of the promised Holy Spirit upon the church. And we don't just look back, we also ask for the Spirit to continue uh, His work in and through each one of us, um, and in through our church on Pentecost Sunday. I love what they ask in Acts chapter 2, verse 12. It says, all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? And that's our question this morning. That's our task today, to look at Pentecost to think about the Holy Spirit and say, what does all this mean? What does it mean for salvation? What does it mean uh, for us today? Remember, in Acts 1, right before the ascension of Jesus, he told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. He said, wait for that, and then you will receive my power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, And it's not just so that it comes upon them. There's a point to it. It says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Those are the last words of Jesus we have recorded uh, in the Gospels and the book of Acts. Then he ascended. This is key for us as we come to Pentecost Sunday. Because at Pentecost, God's Holy Spirit is given to the disciples empowering them to do what he had commissioned them to do, to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them and begin teaching them all that he had commanded. And that wasn't just true then, um, it's true now as well. And so actually today on Pentecost Sunday uh, is a fitting day to renew our commitment to the Lord, to ask him to work in us again, um, and a great day to have uh, baptisms and celebrate the sacrament of baptism uh, with followers of the Lord. Um, we're mainly going to look at Acts chapter 2 this morning. Uh, but before we go to Acts 2, I want to mention two other key passages uh, in the New Testament um, that help us understand the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, I want to go a little kind of carefully through this section and even talk about what our catechism, our teaching document, says about the Holy Spirit Because if you're like me and you've been in church for a long time, uh, the Holy Spirit is usually not an ignored subject. It's usually a confused and confusing subject. And so we want to make sure to understand what does the Scripture tell us about the Spirit and what is the church taught and how should we expect the Spirit to be at work in our lives today? So St. Paul in Romans chapter 8 says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. It occurs to me that the Spirit undergirds and supports our entire spiritual life. It gives us the aid and the comfort and the guidance we need, especially when we really need it, because we don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. We don't know what to pray. Uh, We're told, uh, thankfully, that we are at a loss for words. The Holy Spirit steps in and is speaking on our behalf. That's good news, because oftentimes I find myself at a loss. I don't know what to say when I've seen pain or suffering, uh, when there's hardship or grief or death. What do you do in those moments? 
Um, it's okay to just sit in silence in the presence of the Lord and allow the Holy Spirit to do the work that only he can do to intercede with groanings too deep for words. John 14, verse 16, what Deacon Text read, Jesus says the Father will send us another helper, a comforter, literally the paraclete who comes alongside us. Um, and I always have to clarify, this isn't like a virtual assistant like Siri. It's not just something we call on for our agendas or our tasks or for a reminder. Um, the Spirit is not at our beck and call um, as much as we sometimes pretend that He is in the church. There's so much more. When we're feeling weak and inadequate, again, when we don't have words to speak or words to pray, the Holy Spirit is at work as our advocate, our guide, our friend. The Catechism, which is just a teaching document of our church, the Anglican Church in North America, uh, says this about the Holy Spirit. Um, and I think you guys, you guys will be able to hear this because we teach this to our elementary kids, the Catechism. They even sing songs with these lyrics. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the third person and the one being of the Holy Trinity, co-equal, co-eternal with God the Father and God the Son, equally worthy of our honor and worship, who imparts life to every living thing in creation, reveals God's word to his people, calls sinners to a new life of faith in the saving and life-giving work of Jesus. The Holy Spirit unites Christians to Jesus, indwelling them, convicting them of sin, giving them spiritual gifts, and bearing spiritual fruit in their lives. So let's talk about Acts 2. Uh, we'll start with verses 1 through 4 and these tongues of fire and you might wonder, what in the world is happening? This is a wild, somewhat chaotic scene, isn't it? It's like fireworks show and a sonic boom and a bomb. They all go off at once. Um, and it just reminds me that when the Holy Spirit shows up, uh, sometimes stuff happens. And stuff happens that could be confusing, um, could be perplexing. We have to go, what is this? And oftentimes we want to go, hey, let's make sure this is the Holy Spirit. Um, not some bad burritos we had or something we were making up on our own um, or just turning the volume up on the music. We want to make sure it's the Holy Spirit that is at work uh, in our midst. And what's interesting is if you read throughout the Old Testament and even the Gospels, uh, you see the Holy Spirit at work, but in a very specific, particular way. You see, God would send the Holy Spirit throughout the Bible on particular people at particular times for particular tasks. The big shift here in the New Testament is now the Spirit is given to everyone so that everyone can do the work that God has given us to do. It's not just particular people for particular tasks for a particular time. Um, let me give you an example. If you read in the Old Testament, um, you'll read instructions for worship and instructions for creating uh, the tabernacle and the temple and you'll see these incredible uh, gifted artisans. And we're told that the Holy Spirit comes upon them so that they can do that work to bring beauty and glory and honor to God. Um, I thought of that because you might notice we have some unique art uh, on display today. Um, here in our Pentecost uh, service, we've got um, a painting, an icon of the Holy Spirit that was done by one of our members um, offered up as an offering and gift to the Lord. Um, and we've got a new baptismal font and picture 
Um, also uh, commissioned and created by one of our very own members. Um, what is this for? Well, this is how the Holy Spirit works through specific people to benefit the entire body so that we can all use this and use it in worship. Uh, but in the Old Testament, that just happened and then the Spirit kind of was withdrawn. Um, we use the image of a dove. Throughout the scripture, the Spirit is a dove. Um, and I think what I love is there's a gentleness to that. Um, there's also like a tentativeness to that, the kind of you see in the Old Testament, like the dove comes and then, oh, the, the dove is flown away. You see that in the Old Testament. The Spirit will come for a time, uh, do the work, and then go away. Um, but then we shift into the New Testament. And as you go into the New Testament, as you come to Pentecost, something unique happens. Um, you see the tongues of fire come down, and they're over all of the church. And the Holy Spirit comes and indwells and empowers everyone for the mission of God. And we're told that this doesn't leave us. The Holy Spirit remains and indwells and empowers and burns like fire uh, within each one of us. Um, obviously, there's ways that we can grow numb to this. We can grow cold to this. I would encourage you on Pentecost Sunday uh, to pray for the Spirit to be at work anew in your life to fill you again with his grace and his passion. Um, when you come forward in just a little bit for Holy Communion, um, you could actually pray, Lord, as I receive uh, these gifts, would you fill me again? Would you fill me anew uh, with your Holy Spirit? Um, and you'll be amazed to see what could happen. We'll have a prayer team available. If you want us to pray for you or pray with you for anything, um, we do that because we think God is at work. God shows up and does things in our lives. Um, I was uh, having coffee this week with one of our members, and he was sharing an experience he had of the Holy Spirit. Um, and it was beautiful. And he was like, hey, this kind of happened. And there's, you know, it sounds a little strange, but he, he felt the presence of the Lord. Um, he saw light and fire, and he felt as if the Lord reached out. And, and there was a deep uh, suffering in his life, uh, physical suffering, and the Lord took that away almost instantly. He was like, hey, does that, is that what the Holy Spirit does? Yes, that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what the Holy Spirit can do. And obviously that doesn't happen on demand. Again, this isn't like Siri where it always has to happen the same way or we command the Holy Spirit like he's on a leash. Uh, for this person, the Lord used that moment to cement their faith. It wasn't just about healing that physical ailment. It was a sign and wonder that bore witness to the goodness and love and gentleness of God. That's how you know the Holy Spirit is at work. Sometimes the Holy Spirit brings healing that's remarkable and instantaneous. Uh, whenever we pray for healing, we actually know that everyone will eventually be healed. Because we'll be transformed and glorified and renewed forever. And the Lord. So we merely pray, Lord, if you want to give an advanced foretaste of that, for your glory, would you do that? But we rest knowing that ultimately you bring healing to each one of us uh, in your own time and in your own good way. Here's the other thing to know. Uh, Pentecost as a celebration in the church is not just a New Testament thing. Uh, the Feast of Pentecost you find in the Old Testament and their calendar has deep roots in the Old Testament for several reasons. One main thing that we read about Pentecost in the Old Testament is that it is a harvest festival celebrating the first fruits of the spring harvest. 
And so the people would collect that first harvest. Um, they would come in and make tithes and offerings to the Lord. Um, I actually know of one church. It's a cathedral. And uh, <laughs> their main focus on Pentecost Sunday is giving. And they say in the Old Testament, God's people came and gave their first fruits. Um, would you come and give your first fruits? And they lay out like something where you can come and make your offering um, as you come to the table. Um, and that's a little smart, <laughs> but it's a little on the nose, right? Not sure that's the pure focus we want uh, for Pentecost Sunday. Um, I like baptism a little better <laughs> for our focus this morning. Um, here's the other thing that Pentecost uh, commemorates for God's people. Um, not when they gave offerings and tithes to the Lord, but when the Lord gave something to them that was precious beyond belief. In the Old Testament, they viewed Pentecost as marking the occasion when God sent his good law uh, to the people. And so think about the symmetry here. Uh, Bishop N.T. Wright puts it this way. When the Israelites arrived at Mount Sinai, Moses went up on the mountain and then came down again with the law. Here, Jesus has gone up to the Father in the ascension, and Luke wants us to understand he is now coming back down, uh, not with a written law carved on tablets of stone, but with the dynamic energy of the law designed to be written on human hearts. You see the same, Moses went up, the law comes down. Here, Jesus ascends, the Spirit comes. One, this beautiful but only external guide to holiness and worship. And the New Testament, God's doing something new to write this on our hearts, to renew us from the inside out and begin conforming us to the image of the Son. What's going on with the fire? Do you like that part, the fire? The tongues of fire? It's, it's a little wild. Well, if you read in the Scriptures, fire usually denotes the presence of the Lord, right? And so two things occur to me about that is one, um, the primary place of fire and glory was in the temple. In the Holy of Holies, God dwelt with his people and made manifest his glory, and it was fire. But here's the thing. That fire, <laughs> that fire was uh, beautiful and glorious and dangerous. And so it was kept separate. In fact, the only person that came near that heat was the high priest, and they did it once a year. And they tied ropes on him like this in case he dropped dead in the presence and holiness of God. And so that reminds us of the reverence, the awe, the might of God. But there's another time you see the fire in the Old Testament with Moses, and it's in the burning bush. That's an interesting scene. Moses is out, and the Lord wants to reveal himself to Moses, and it says that Moses sees a burning bush. And we might think the miracle of that is that the bush is on fire. The miracle of that is it says the bush is on fire but is not consumed. It's not destroyed. And I actually think that points ahead in a very unique way to how the Holy Spirit operates in the New Testament. Because the Holy Spirit comes upon us, but it's no longer this point of danger. It's something that comes upon us to renew us and to give us life, not to destroy us, not to harm us. Uh, Tim Keller, who recently went to be with the Lord, actually says that every Christian in the New Testament should be like a burning bush, where the Holy Spirit comes upon us 
and we shine forth with the glory and brilliance of the Lord, but it doesn't consume us. Um, it gives life, and it gives warmth, and it gives comfort. Um, that's what we see with the Holy Spirit. The other thing I just want to, again, underscore is it's for everybody. There's not some special class that gets to have the Holy Spirit. Um, and the Holy Spirit is remarkable in the diversity of ministry. We read about all the gifts that God gives to his church. Um, those are incredible because sometimes the Holy Spirit comes and takes a gift or a talent that you've always had and then redirects it to be used for God's goodness and glory and beauty. I think of that with our artisans, our musicians. Um, I don't think Chris just woke up and knew how to play guitar one night. The Holy Spirit took something that he had been working on for a long time and said, let me show you how I can use that uh, for my glory. And sometimes the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we find a gift that we had never thought we had. And you see that you've been given a call to encourage or to pray for people or to serve. Um, it's been remarkable for me just over years and decades now of doing ministry um, to see people who are not naturally servant-hearted and the Lord gets a hold of them. They're like, what can I do? How can I help? Um, you'll look out and they're just taking care of things because the Holy Spirit is at work in their midst, um, conforming them to the image of Jesus. So the Holy Spirit's for everyone. What we see in verses 5 through 11 is one of the main things that the Spirit does. If you have tongues of fire, it sets the church on, on fire with mouths of mission. And that's what all those tongues are about in these different languages. The early church immediately begins to speak the language of mission, and it's very intelligible because what they're talking about, it says in Acts, is they're declaring the mighty works of God. They're not just having something induced by bad burritos the night before. It's linked to the goodness and revelation of God and what he's done in and through Jesus. In fact, I think the normal occurrence, the regular function of the Spirit, is to empower Christians to bear witness to the gospel while assuring them of their connection to God through the experience of his presence. The normal occurrence and regular function of the Spirit is to empower Christians to bear witness to God and what he has done in Jesus, while assuring them of their connection to God, comforting us through the experience of his presence. And so Jesus, the newly ascended Lord, sends his Spirit on his church on the day of Pentecost. He ministers now through his Spirit and through his church. He brings people together by the Spirit and in the church. Um, and there's a lot that can be said about the book of Acts and about the ministry of the Spirit, but I'm just struck by the unity that the Spirit brings. How all of these people in Acts 2, from all these different backgrounds, um, they're brought together. Um, and, and by the way, just real quick, we read the Tower of Babel story the Tower of Babel, right? That wasn't to like invent the foreign language department at high schools. <laughs> that was not the point of Babel. Um, what was wrong was not that they spoke one language. It's that they were actually being disobedient to God's call and commission to go and spread out, to fill the earth. They instead wanted to clump and do things their own way and be together. And so God confused our languages so that they could do what he had called them to do um, I actually think if you read the first few chapters of Acts, 
not only is Babel reversed and the kind of the spirit uh, giving all these new languages, but you actually see the church unfortunately kind of recreate this. In Matthew, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them everything I have commanded you, and lo, I will be with you uh, even to the end of the ages. And so he says here in Acts 1, wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then what, stay in Jerusalem? No. Go <laughs> from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And what you see in the very first part of Acts is they just stay. Once the Spirit comes, they just hang out. They hunker down. There's this impulse in us um, to just kind of clump, to stay, to, to maybe seek that same experience again. Maybe they're like, if we just stay right here, it'll happen just like it did before. And so how does the Lord get them to finally fulfill this commission to go out? Persecution. Uh, Paul, later the apostle to the Gentiles, first is the persecutor of the church in Jerusalem, but through that persecution, by God's uh, wisdom and grace, it actually spurs the church to do what they're supposed to do. They spread out. They have to. Um, and they spread out and go and find all these different peoples and nations and groups. God's heart is for unity. God's heart is to reach all these different kinds of people. Um, and I've said this before, it's a mark of the Spirit-filled church that people get along inside church that could not get along outside of it. Because if you only get along with people that you naturally click with, well, that's natural. But if you actually love one another in ways that the New Testament says for people that you are naturally not on the same page with, that's a supernatural work of the Lord. And it bears witness to God's glory because people come and say, what in the world are y'all doing together? How are y'all friends? How are y'all siblings in the Lord? Um, I always think of this as almost like the anti-fraternity. <laughs> if you're in a fraternity, I don't mean to make fun. But if you go to a fraternity or a sorority here at UGA, we see them all the time, right? Um, what, you, what you notice is how similar the interests are, how similar the people are, how similar the uh, even dress is. Um, and I, I get some of that at that age. You're looking for who is similar to you, and so you're going to go do things together, right? Um, and it's a very narrow spectrum of experience and temperament and taste. And you all all go do the same thing. The church should be the opposite of that, where folks who are wildly different come together in the Lord, and that bears witness to God's goodness. And actually, this is sorely needed uh, now. I mean, think about all the ways people are naturally divided, naturally don't get along. Uh, some of them seem obvious, they're visible, gender, race, these kinds of things. We see, okay, how, does God, how do God's people get along um, across these things that could divide and unfortunately in our culture sometimes do divide. Um, I think there's even deeper levels of division you see. Like if you look in Athens, there's real division uh, between like economic class, education, just like how you like to spend your time, what type of person you are. Um, sometimes I'm delighted when I see someone who is super uh, on one kind of social echelon and then maybe there's someone on a different socioeconomic position, and they're, they love one another in the Lord. I'm like, y'all wouldn't naturally hang out. 
Y'all don't go to the same places for fun, but you can come to the church and you can have unity in the Lord and you can have love for one another in the Lord and it bears witness to the goodness of God. It bears witness to the fact that you're not drawn together because of something natural, but something has happened to bring you together and you're with people you wouldn't naturally hang out with. So what happens on Pentecost? The fire comes, the tongues come, they speak in mission, they speak the mighty works of God, and then God bless him, Peter gets up. Man, oh man. What's the last thing we saw Peter doing? Well, he cut a dude's ear off uh, when they came to arrest Jesus, and Jesus said, that's not how we do this, man. <laughs> Live by the sword, die by the sword. Then he follows to where they had taken Jesus after his arrest, and he's denying Jesus one time after another, right? Eventually, he goes fishing, and John, Jesus restores him. But Peter's got a pretty sketchy track record at this point. Um, like if anyone's going to get up and, and talk about what the Lord has done, maybe John, John, the beloved disciple, the, the, the one who was there at the cross, the one who, who wrote the gospel, he, he'd be good to know. Peter, Peter's going to get up and talk. Um, and just the fact that Peter gets up and speaks and what he says is so amazing is just a testament to how the Holy Spirit delights to use uh, unlikely broken people to bring glory to the Lord. And so he stands up. He has this wonderful sermon. He's talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about what Jesus has done. He uses the language of signs and witnesses and wonders. He says this actually shows that Jesus was exactly who he said he was and did everything God called him to do. Usually the Spirit, by the way, is linked to the death and resurrection of Jesus and the big story of God in the Bible. It's not some separate thing. Acts 2, verse 36, Peter says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. You could almost hear him say, and I denied. <laughs> He's preaching to himself as well. In response to the sermon, uh, they're cut to the heart. The Spirit will do that. Let's say, what should we do? Um, I would love that. By the way, at any point, if I'm near the end of a sermon and you just want to say, what should we do? Feel free. It's like a preacher's dream. Like this never really happens. What shall we do? We're ready to do it. And what does Peter say? Acts 2, verse 38 through 39. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. Um, there's nothing better we can do on Pentecost than to turn again to the Lord in repentance. There's nothing better we can do on Pentecost than to administer uh, holy baptism. It's a chance to renew our walk with the Lord and our faith in the Lord. Um, and by the way, if, if the Christian life is hard, and you find that you've grown numb or grown cold, that's the time to pray for the Holy Spirit. Uh, and everything's not going to get better all at once, but you're going to have the Lord at work in you. Um, the person and work of the Holy Spirit is vital for the life of each church and every believer. Uh, John Stott, who was an Anglican minister in London, 
Uh, by the way, if you can find anything written by John Stott, read it. I'm pretty sure that N.T. Wright, who I always quote, spent almost his entire early ministry reading John Stott <laughs> and putting his stuff into practice. Here's what John Stott said. Without the Holy Spirit, Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, even impossible. There can be no life without the life giver, no understanding without the spirit of truth, no fellowship without the unity of the spirit, no Christ-likeness of character apart from his fruit, no effective witness without his power. Then he says this, as a body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the spirit is dead. The spirit is vital. We must be a church that welcomes the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Um, and I'm almost done, but I just want to say uh, liturgical churches like ours, ordered churches, traditional churches, we don't always have a good track record in this area, do we? We're not necessarily viewed as vibrant um, or excited or enthusiastic, and all those things can be taken to an extreme. I was actually talking with a... <laughs> A friend pretty recently who's the pastor of a very uh, wonderfully chaotic, charismatic church. Um, our services are as different as night and day. Um, you know what's the same in our churches? We both expect God to show up. We trust that the Holy Spirit is at work in our midst. Um, and by the way, I, I get that our service is written down. It's laid out in an order. Um, I get that in theory, their service is spontaneous. Um, can I let you in on a secret? Every church has a liturgy. Every worship service has an order. Um, we just write ours down and have the bishop sign off on it <laughs> so that we know that it is in good order. Uh, we trust that the Holy Spirit will show up in our midst. And by the way, what starts out with fire and with all these tongues in Acts 2, do you want to hear how it ends? We are the end of Acts chapter 2. Here's the fruit. Here's, once all that has happened, here's what the church should look like according to uh, the book of Acts. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Then down towards the end, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Sounds like church. Sounds like the marks of a healthy church. Not, not an Anglican church per se, but just a healthy church. You devote yourselves to the apostles' teaching, the creed. You devote yourselves to the fellowship, the one another life we have together, the breaking of bread. That's not going to McDonald's, that's sharing this meal. And to the prayers, to praying for uh, one another. And so on this Pentecost Sunday, we ask the Holy Spirit to come, to fill us afresh. Come, Holy Spirit, draw men and women, young and old, to yourself. Lead us, your church, into holiness and mission. Enliven hearts that have grown cold and numb. Redeem, restore, renew, 
heal, reconcile, unite, be present in our fellowship, our friendships, our families, our neighborhoods. Build and guide and bless your church for the glory of Christ. I'm going to ask you if you would join me in standing. I'm going to pray for us on this Pentecost Sunday. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful people. Kindle in us the fire of your love. Direct and rule our hearts in all things. Empower us for witness and ministry. And daily increase in us your gifts and fruit to the glory of God the Father through Jesus Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 All right, you can be seated. This will be a little longer service, but I heard.